All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Buddy Walk with Jesus. As always, as we get started, we want you guys to know two very important things that you are prayed for and you are loved deeply. If you are in need of prayer, do not hesitate to reach out. Prayer at BuddyWalkWithJesus.com or you can look up Buddy Walk with Jesus on Facebook. Find the page. Go ahead and shoot a message to the page. If you do that, you will get me. So, um, and lastly, if uh, you are looking for a spot to engage with the saints, you can head on over to Facebook and join the Buddy Walk community. It's our private group where we come together, pray together, and the whole nine yards. So, guys, we are picking up with um, the tail end of Esther chapter 6, where we um, see the continuation of Haman's plot falling to pieces. Uh, Haman's whole plan is falling apart before his very eyes. And so we are jumping back in on this. Um, but before we get there, um, just being totally honest, I received the most amount of pushback that I've ever gotten from a, um, from an episode last time, um, talking about how, um, very clearly this was God ordained and all of that kind of stuff. Um, the whole, the whole situation, how it all came about in Haman or uh, yeah, Haman, um, being put in the situation where he has to, uh, give the flowers to, um, to Mordecai and, um, the King reading out of the book and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so here's, here's the thing, right? When, when I, as I went over all of this, it's, it, it's just like with the Matthew series, we we can't completely we have to take the full picture into consideration as we move through the chapter and as we move through the book we have to take everything into consideration so at no point have i have i attempted to illustrate that god is not in the situation but over and over again, we see a variety of instances where God puts something on a human's heart and the human responds. That's what's happened. We are seeing the cause, the cause and effect of God putting things on Mordecai's heart to do and Mordecai responding. Both parts are equally as important and there are ripple effects again Persian culture was very generous. Royalty was very generous to the loyal subjects. That's how they built the empire that they did. And so having this situation, it makes, it makes sense to history. It makes sense to what we know to be how God operates and things like that. And so I'm not trying to paint a picture that God is devoid of, of the situation, but it's not, it's not God moving folks around. 
So just just something to keep in the back of your mind as as you're processing all of this and and understanding that um it is it is a yes and sort of situation not an either or and i would argue that that yes and component is prevalent and present throughout all of scripture that that's we just we see evidence of that over and over and over again old testament new testament so if you have more questions about that feel free to shoot me to shoot me a message and we can talk more about that um so we are picking back up in the text in uh chapter six right at the tail end literally the last uh um verse of the chapter um because it starts a new thought and so um, I know this is this is a weird spot to pick up, but this is this is where we are at. So um, Esther chapter six, starting at verse fourteen. While they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. Remember, he his plan was. He was going to approach the king, have uh, Mordecai put to death, and then he could go enjoy the meal with the king and queen. And Esther had positioned that this was going to, that these feasts were going to happen. So, chapter 7. So, the king and Haman went in to feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and be, to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent. For our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he? Who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther. For he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the palace where they were drinking wine. As Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king said, will he even assault the queen in my presence, in my own home. As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance of on the king, said, Moreover, the gallows. 
that Heman was prepared, that Heman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing in Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. Well, um, this is where things um, are starting to ramp up in all of these goings on. So Esther addresses this whole thing with a continued sense of tact. Okay. Um, notice that Esther, when Esther addresses this situation, she does so on a personal basis. Remember, Haman hid the identity of the group that he targeted when he made the request. That's Esther 3 Eight. And Haman said unto King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep, neither keep they the king's laws, therefore it is not for the king's prophet to suffer them. So he didn't out and out say that he wanted to kill the Jewish people. But at the same token, Esther appealed on a personal level and didn't immediately identify herself as a Jew. She showed wisdom in how she framed her request and appealed knowing that she had never done anything but please the king. Again, each one of these opportunities had arised, had arisen. Each one of these situations had arisen, and Esther approaches these situations in a very specific kind of way to the effect that we see this, this continued action response throughout the entirety of the book, if it weren't going to be Esther, if Esther had not responded, God would have put it on somebody else's heart. I know that's hard. I know that's hard for folks to understand sometimes because they're in the West. There's so it's so prevalent to think of this in terms of determinism. And, and this is where, again, I, I really, I, 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 I know I know for you guys that are in different parts of the world, you guys may get sick and tired of me harping on this because this the same sort of model isn't present in other parts of the world. And I'm not trying to pick on the United States in saying this. I'm not trying to pick on the West in saying this. But the reality is, guys, that we need to be aware of how it is that we are conceiving of these events because if it's just mindless meat puppets, then there's no beauty in any of this. Not to mention then we also have to negate everything that led up to the events of the Book of Esther. Everything that went into that, we have to forget about all of that if this is nothing but just mindless people being moved across the board by God. Also, like we talked about 
in the discussion centering around chapter four, we need to understand um, the context of this and the fact that this is a story about a Jewish people and we need to consider their forms of worship, the way that they would respond to things, all of that kind of stuff to really understand the full depth of this because otherwise then we can read whatever we want into it. And that's part of where we get to some of the mishandlings of of this text. And so Ahasuerus perhaps should have known that it was actually um, he that authorized the plan. He was the one who gave authorization to Haman to carry out the plot, though he definitely did it in in ignorance. But rather than um, point the finger at the king, she points the finger at Haman. She exposes the truth about him that he is not a faithful servant of the king, that he is actually an adversary and that he's jockeying for power and position in his own best interest, that he did not have the king and the empire's best interest in mind. And this is, at the same time, the the point where Haman realizes what what's what. He had no idea that Esther was Jewish. Now he stood before the king, being rightly accused of plotting the murder of the king's wife. Now, remember, we, we the the king is ultimately the one that's in control here. And and this whole the whole system revolves at this point in time around the king, which we've we've talked about in reference to Vashi, we've talked in reference to the way that Esther put herself out there and put her life on the line by appearing to the king even though he hadn't called for her and all of that kind of stuff. But she was still the main person to the king. That main, the, the main companion. So the wisdom of Esther's strange request to invite him into these banquets can be seen here. This is why I don't agree with a reading of this that says that Esther was just afraid and that she needed more time to get her courage up because ultimately the 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 wisdom and the the intentionality of her plan is now being shown and maximize the impact on both the king and on Haman himself. So the king is filled with wrath. He is angry about this entire thing, probably because he now realized that Haman had played him for a fool in getting him to decree to kill the Jews and angry that he had put the queen's life in danger. And for all of Haman's pleading, he only got himself in deeper now that he was accused of personally assaulting Esther. 
It's worth noting that a Jewish writing says that the angel Gabriel pushed Haman. So he fell on Esther's couch just as uh, as the king was coming back into the room. Um, you know, I wasn't there. I don't, I, is, is, is it possible? Um, I don't know as though it's not possible, um, but conjecture at best. And I don't really want to um, go much further than, than that. Um, just honestly, because it's not really all that important. And so it was actually common, uh, practice for there to be a head covering as a form of preparation for execution. Um, you've probably seen this depicted in movies or in TV shows, uh, that, that date back to a certain point. Um, but, but this was a practice. And so that's what we're hearing. Um, when they say they covered Haman's face, uh, it was likely a, a, a full on head covering. Um, so in, in this situation, um, this is a case of, um, how, as, as with people who would be executed at this time, um, Haman was probably not hanged with a rope around his neck. He was probably impaled on a huge stake in essentially an ancient precursor to um, cruci crucifixion. We had talked about this in Esther 2. That um, So Esther 2.23 says, And when inquisition was made of the matter it was found out therefore they were both hanged on a tree and it was written in the book of chronicles before the king talking about the two that plotted the the assassination of the king and so um this was just this was this was persian practice back then that this was just basically a precursor to what the romans would then take and turn into uh crucifixion and so um and, and and yeah, there's there's some there's some dramatics to the fact that uh, Haman is executed on the very spot that he had made for Mordecai. You know, he found his end on the same instrument that he had intended to be the instrument used in the death of Mordecai, and he was essentially caught in his own trap. One of the things that I refuse to do from this point is over-spiritualize what happened here and, you know, talk about how God often works in weird ways and all of this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, again, it's not that God is completely absent from the situation or devoid of involvement or anything like that, but the reality is, guys that this is more of a case of cause and effect rather than um, divine uh, interaction on a um, purely controlling level. And I think that there's plenty to conceive of in all of this without going too far down the road of trying to make more out of certain things than there actually is. So the one thing that I do want to say, because this is going to be a, a shorter a shorter episode, but the one thing that I do want to say is this is 
This aspect of the Old Testament is some of my favorite. And this is part of why I think it's so beneficial to pause and just consider the text that's on the page. Just consider the story for what it is. Because remember, we we are reading about accounts from the Persian government, the Persian Empire. And we have so much evidence of all of this happening, right? We have historical representation that that gives validity to the scriptures, and we can see very clearly how the Jewish people interacted with the larger context of the world. That in and of itself is awesome. Understanding how God can put things on folks' hearts and get involved, but still leaves the opportunity for, hey, I'm going to put this on your heart, and if you don't respond, then I'm going to put it on somebody else's heart. He doesn't, he's not so dependent that he has to move individual pieces. He is so powerful that he can give us that choice. And it's not, there isn't this plan B sort of situation because he is outside of space and time. He is not so beholden to space-time as we know it that he has to move people around. No, he is so gracious that he gives us a choice. He wants us to engage with him. He wants that active relationship. And he is so grand in scope and in detail that we can look to the fact that he is willing and able to move and operate outside of the paradigms of having to use very specific people. All of that, every single bit of that speaks to the grand and wonderful nature of God. All of that speaks to the character of God and how he works with those who are faithful to him. Guys, that's beautiful. Way more beautiful than this idea of meat puppets. So I'm going to go ahead and pause there, so we can so we can we can really meditate and marinate on that, and then we'll pick up next week with chapter eight and and roll forward with the rest of the story, or at least continuing the story. But for now, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, I thank you for this time, Lord. I thank you for the ability to look at this moment in history where your people, you, your people in all of this interacts with the world's history. And we can see such a clear line of of your presence in all of this, but see it see see this idea of your character on full display lord i thank you for the richness that is your word the richness that is relationship with you father i thank you for the fact that you are for us and with us and lord i pray for a sensitivity to the spirit for your people lord as we move forward in the text father i pray that your people um, are, st- st- understand that you are with us, you are active in our lives, and that you love us. Father, I thank you for who and what you are. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, 
Thank you all for joining for another edition for such a time as this. Guys, coming soon. This is kind of like the end credit scene, right? Coming soon, the Axe Project. Stay tuned for more details. All right. Remember two very important things that you are prayed for and you are loved deeply. All right. Peace, y'all.